Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at RiderFlex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the RiderFlex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The RiderFlex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Courtney Garrett on the Rider Flex podcast. Good morning, Courtney. Good morning. Great are to be going, here. You're, uh, yeah, I see the background there. You're downtown, which is uh, where you operate. Absolutely. Right in the heart of the city. I was uh, studying... Uh, all of your stuff before the call this morning and uh, yesterday, and I'm assuming you're a Texas girl, or did you just go down there for college? What What's the story there? <laughs> well, I am actually a Colorado native. I was oh. born at St. Joe's, so okay. proud. My family moved to Texas when I was 10, uh, but my parents had divorced, so my mom moved with my brothers and me to North Texas area. My dad stayed here, so we grew up coming back and forth and have a lot of family and friends in the area, so this has always been um, kind of a switch between a first and second home. And, uh, I see. you know, after spending the majority of, of time in North Texas, particularly in Dallas and building a career there, we decided a year ago to shift and shake things up. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So you went to school uh, down, you went to college down there too. Tell mm -hmm. me though about your, all right. So your parents got divorced when you were young. What were you, 10, 11? Would you say 10? I, yeah, it was 10. That's a tough, that's a tough age. Was that, uh, did that shape you in any way? Did that, do you think that's made you a little bit who you are going through that? How did that affect you? Oh, you know, I think if anything, it's taught me that what's best for kids is to have your parents happy. And that I think is much better kind of going through that separation than okay. necessarily having to live through a household that is not a one that, that you just constantly feel the love and, and the happiness. So mm. I, I don't really look at it as something that's impacted in a negative way. Um, okay. In fact, we moved around quite a bit, both when my mother and biological father were still married and then thereafter, and we didn't really settle in one place until I was in middle school. Um, and frankly, I think that's really helped with the ability to adapt to change and yep be able yep. to come into new environments and meet people and feel very comfortable. Um, so I just look at it as a part of the seasoning, <laughs> you know, that goes into uh, who you are. Yeah. Probably shaped your people skills and your communication skills in a, in a ton of ways, moving around, changing schools, mm -hmm. changing environments, learning how to like, okay, I got to make new friends over here. And yeah, you know, all that stuff really shapes who you are. Uh, you had siblings, brothers, sisters. Yes. Two younger brothers. Uh, two young brothers. I'm five years older than my middle brother and uh, about 10 years older than my youngest brother. And we, right. unfortunately, we lost my middle brother at the end of 2018. He lived here in Denver um, mm. and he passed away in October of 18. Um, mm, but close in our hearts. Yeah. That's tough. Okay. I'm sorry. And uh, okay. Is your mom still in Texas? She is. She is. Right. She's in right. uh, the neighborhood where we most recently moved from. And uh, we're working to get her up here eventually, but <laughs> I'm really lucky. I still have, at 45 years old, I still have my grandparents. 
Um, really? So my mother and my grandparents were her parents um, are house sharing and she helps to take care of them. So I it's see. a bigger move. It's a bigger move for them, but hopefully we'll get I mom see. up here soon. I see. I see. Your mom didn't remarry then. She didn't know. She, uh, she did. And then divorced again. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so, all right. Adaptability. Uh, was your stepdad cool or was he an asshole? And he oh, really yeah, no, or- he's, he's amazing. I mean, he came in Great. and immediately just joined as, as dad and was at the drill team. I was a drill team stinger at in Rockwell, Texas. Uh, okay. So I can pull that out for you. Um, but yeah, he <laughs> attended, worked all the concession stands and, and did all the things with us. So oh, really sounds, like, sounds like a good guy. So you're still in contact with him then, huh? Absolutely. He's in yeah. Atlanta right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. Did your dad remarry in Colorado? He did. And then he also divorced. Um, he's in Galveston now. I have a very complex family tree. <laughs> hey, we all so, do. I know, we right? Do. We all yeah. do. There's no, you know, you, sometimes you like you watch a movie or a TV or something and it shows this like perfect family where everybody just, you know, it's just never like that. It's never like that. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, I'm lucky. Knock on wood. My husband and I are going on 20 years together. So, oh, congratulations. Yeah. All right. Thank congratulations. You. How, how'd you meet him? It was a setup, actually. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah. A friend. My, a friend uh, oh, yeah. Tell me about it. I want to give yeah, me this My best friend from the fifth grade, um, fast forward to our early 20s, she okay. was dating the then drummer in my husband's band. So oh. they were musicians. And uh, they both kept saying, we want to set you two up. We want to set you two up. And we were both saying, no, no, no. And then finally we gave in and uh, went out to dinner with our friends, a little double date. And he and I ended up sitting at the bar going Corona for Corona for <laughs> the rest of the nice. night. Nice. We've been together three months later. Was this in Austin? This was in Dallas. This was in Dallas. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you already out of school. And I actually, my college, Austin College is in Sherman. It's a- Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. It's a okay. small, it's a small liberal arts school in Sherman, Texas, and okay. literally kind of the only thing in that city. <laughs> uh, sorry. Okay. Gotcha. 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 All yeah. right. He was in a band. So that's kind of mm-hmm. cool. So was he, is he, does he still play? Does he do anything? Uh, no, he just plays around with the kids a little bit for fun. Um, but he turned that in and he's now in the wine and spirits business. He and some partners have an important distribution company, but- I fully, so my father is a musician, my stepfather's a musician, my youngest brother's a musician, so I am absolutely a cliche, and then uh, I married, yeah, I married uh, both uh, of my fathers. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, all right, very good. Uh, so you said two children? How many yes. kids you got? Two kids. And how old are they? How old are they? They're 10, twins, boy-girl twins. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, right. so they're, they're loving life, they're living their best life here in Denver, which has been incredible to watch. That's great. And 20 years of marriage. Okay. So what happened then? You, uh, you, you had a great run down in Dallas, right? I mean, really, you know, just, just for the listeners, and I'm sure that they're going to look up Courtney Garrett on LinkedIn, probably, uh, you were either night, almost 19 years, 20 years at, 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 uh, downtown Dallas. Um, right. It's kind of this. Yeah. I mean, what happened? Like you just, you're like, I just want to move to Colorado. I'm done here. What? <laughs> Uh, well you know I started I won't go too far back but I started my career in lifestyle centers and did a short jump in hospital PR and then jumped into the downtown management world and um, just love for me what we do as city builders is something that's truly in your soul 
And so I had such a connection to Dallas, having you know spent the majority of my later youth there and building my career. And so for me, the job was as much about being a planner and a designer and you know kind of a, a policy expert as it was really digging in and loving the city. Okay. So tie that as to why we're here. The only other city that I could see having that much passion, because I'll tell you, these jobs are very challenging at times. Uh, uh, yeah. They're incredibly rewarding and incredibly challenging. Um, so that's why I think you have to have such a personal passion in order to be successful. And there's really no other city I would have that passion for than Denver. And uh, my husband, John, and I would often say, you know, retirement will move to the mountains because even though he's Dallas born and bred, you know, he's the typical Texan who was coming up and skiing multiple times a year. Gotcha. Um, so we always kind of said, oh, you know, when the kids are gone, that's probably where we'll end up. And uh, it was just kind of this fortuitous turn of events. I was not looking to leave Dallas whatsoever. Um, I knew my predecessor fairly well because we've been in the same industry for a long time. And uh, she announced that she was leaving and a couple of my friends in the market pinged me and said when are you coming um and it's really it's, it's a sweet story not to belabor the point but I was actually standing in the airport in Jackson Hole with my two kids my husband had just dropped us off we'd been on a three-week you know the COVID road trip vacation that everybody takes yeah we were wrapping that up and so the kids and I were flying here to Denver to see my aunt um who lives in Centennial and he was going to drive home and fish and take the dogs and so on. So anyway, we're standing in the Jackson Hole Airport when that call came that uh, Tammy Dore had announced that she was leaving. So there's just a whole slew of signs okay. from the universe that kept happening. Kept happening. Um, so as adults, we just kind of said, yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah. It's almost right. kind of meant to be right there. You know, things happen for a reason. I always believe that. And you had spent almost 20 years moving right. your way up through through the organization in, in Dallas. By the way, congratulations there. Great. Thank you. Just, you know, one promotion mm -hmm. after another. Really awesome. Yeah, probably a good move. Uh, you know, they're 20 years, you know. Yeah, good mm -hmm. move. And, you know, besides that, uh, hey, Texas is great. But, boy, June, July, and August is, <laughs> is man, I don't know. Last, last, yeah, last time I was down in Dallas, like in July or August, I was like, holy shit, I forgot how hot it is down here. Like, right. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's so true. But yeah, I mean, that definitely the 20 year mark. And one yeah. of the great things about these roles, and I think for anyone, when you've invested that much time and energy into your career, there comes a moment where it's very hard to let go. But mm. we also, it was a time when I realized that so much of what I've been working on for the last decade or two decades, because urban redevelopment takes a long time, um, we were able to celebrate. And so it was a nice Great. moment to say, it's time for the next push. It's time for the next person to come in. With and your family. husband's your husband's distribution business or import business, uh, I, it, he was able to move that or he works remotely? How did that work? Uh, yeah, actually, this was another one of the signs from the universe. He went to his partners before we officially put my name in the hat and uh, said, you know, we're thinking about this. Is it a deal breaker for the partnership? And the C their CEO at the time, they didn't realize, had been specking business here in Colorado. So they were really moving toward wanting one of the partners to move here anyway. Um, wow. And they've since announced a, a merger. And so they're doing business here in the state of Colorado. Wow. Okay. Yep. All that came together for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Very good. Very good. Very good. Well, congrats on all of that. Um, okay. Give us the downtown Denver partnerships 
overview. And I think I think it'd be best to just kind of do it from a completely, you know, uh, I'm ignorant to the whole thing. Just just kind of give it to me like I don't even know what this is. Like the first time I've seen it, you know. I think it's good for you to share it that way for the listeners. Um, yeah. Give us the give us the the commoner explanation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a good place to start because a lot of people and I didn't even know that these. Um, types of organizations existed. There's not really a degree program. Downtown management organizations or urban place management organizations. So on the whole, as an industry, we are nonprofits that sit at the intersection between the public sector and the private sector. So we operate with um, private boards. We're a not, like I said, a nonprofit organization, but we work very closely with municipal government specifically. Uh, in order to advance projects and bringing both of the entities again, private sector and public sector together. Um, at the Downtown Denver Partnership, and these organizations have a number of different functions depending on the city. At the Downtown Denver Partnership, um, you can think of us on a multitude of levels. We work on a strategic front on issues related to public policy, economic development, long-term urban planning. So the downtown Denver area plan, for example, um, is something that we steward and we'll be going through an update of that very soon. Um, so those things that really impact and plan for our city in the future, we're intimately involved in and bring private sector stakeholders to the table um, as well as the community to give input and help guide those city processes. Mm. Um, then we also have what I call our on the ground programs. So we manage what's called a business improvement district, which is an assessment on any properties within a given geography. Ours is of course downtown where property owners elect to pay an increased assessment for supplemental services to what the city provides. So I, I always, I say it's kind of for the layman, it's kind of like a giant big commercial um, HOA. I so see. we're funded in order to provide, we have private security downtown. We also have a supplemental, what we call our clean team. So they're doing maintenance work, a lot of landscaping, and then we're able to do some capital improvements, um, marketing and special events. So you'll see the Downtown Denver Partnership doing everything from producing Taste of Colorado and the Parade of Lights, um, mm. which we're very proud of those two signature events, to me sitting in front of the state legislature earlier this year to address the fentanyl bill. So it's quite, quite broad what we do as organizations, which is what's kept me at it for over 20 years. <laughs> wow. Is your is your primary role as the president and CEO fundraising and asking billionaires to write checks? Or are you <laughs> what what are you what is your tactical daily routine look like as the president? I'm curious. Right. It is so far and wide. Um, there definitely is a fundraising element. So our two primary funding sources are that business improvement district and then voluntary membership dues. So typically what you would look at is kind of a chamber. So those are too. And then we have some contracts with the city and different grants, but part of it is fundraising. Um, a lot of it is to build consensus and bring different community groups and stakeholder groups together. <coughs> Sorry. No worries. <laughs> I'm trying to keep that, that little bit of the <laughs> cough away, as I said earlier. Um, yeah. So, you know, my typical day, let's say, for example, yesterday started the day with two calls that were internal calls, really looking at how to manage our employee base. Um, we held a large community briefing regarding a safety initiative that we're launching later this week in partnership with the mayor's office. Mm. Um, had a couple of calls with different city departments related to specific development projects that are happening downtown, and then um, had a, a member check-in call, just seeing how the, mm. the member's doing. So 
Um, yeah, it's the spokesperson of the organization, but as a small organization, it's also really digging in and I love the programs. I love what we do on a daily basis. So digging in a little bit with the team on that as well. If, if I was planning on opening a restaurant downtown, buying a building, or let's say I was going to buy the building too and open a restaurant and would you be the person, your organization, would I call you and be like, Hey, can you help me with this Courtney? Like, who do I, what, what do I do? Permits, this, mm-hmm. that, I don't know. Do you help me with that? Is that? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a huge part of what we do. Um, and we're involved, whether it's a large anchor corporation or some of our small businesses who are coming into the market. So we can help facilitate. And it's exactly that. It's the how-to manual. Okay. You know, we can say, here are some resources that are available to you. We actually administer some grants for businesses along 16th Street right now oh. because of some reconstruction that's happening. Okay. Um, we're running a program called Pop-Up Denver, which is entrepreneurs from throughout the city. We've done a call for storefronts and we had our pilot, our first five open um, over the summer and we're expanding with 10 more businesses. We've got an open call out right now for new businesses to come in. So it's really facilitating all of those processes. We're not the city, so we don't do the permits. We don't provide okay. you know okay. that type of resource, but we can help navigate. And do I pay you for that or it's a free service because you're a nonprofit and you, okay. For the good of the community. <laughs> wow. Okay. I love that. So the 16th street mall, I didn't know we, I didn't know there was a major project underway. Is it, has it started or it's about to start? Can you tell us about that? So at, earlier this year, we kicked off a $150 million project to reconstruct the 16th street mall. Okay. It is looking at, it is dealing with a lot of infrastructure issues. Um, the mall opened in 1982. So believe it or not, the mall's 40 years old. Wow. So the reconstruction will address some of the infrastructure issues. It's also taking the buses and moving them to the interior of the street so that we have more room for cafes, pedestrian space. And then you'll see a whole new, what we call a public realm plan. So new public art installations, activity centers, just really reviving and bringing life back to that signature spine in Denver. And how does that, okay, so somebody at the city, the city council, I don't know who decides these things, the mayor, whatever, uh, decides, somebody decides, hey, we need to redo the 16th Street Mall. And then instead of just signing a construction outfit, some contractor to do it, do they call you and say, hey, help me get this organized with the right contractors and all that? How how does that, who, what's the communication flow look like there? A construction project of the magnitude of 16, yeah. uh, the way that that one's worked, when the city has their public works department, they have their department of transportation and infrastructure. So they're really managing the hard and fast construction elements. They have a yeah. contractor and, and that's moving forward. We're there um, to help. We've advised on the design in a very significant way. We are helping to facilitate and really market and communicate what's happening to the public. So we help to create the brand mm. for construction. Uh, and then this business, mitigate, business operation mitigation grant program is something that the city has given us a pool of money to be able to help those businesses who are impacted by construction with uh, grants to subsidize operations through the, the headache period or the growing pains period. Oh, okay. Very interesting, right? Yeah. I guess if I owned a restaurant down there and you're about to block my, my doors for two weeks, building a sidewalk, I'd, yeah. I'd be filing for a group for something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, okay. Very good. And uh, what is your organization's 
role in the homeless situation downtown and the tents and the, and the things like that. How do you, are you involved in that? Do you help with that? Do, can you just talk to me about that? Because I, you know, um, I live in Northern Colorado. I live up near Loveland, but mm -hmm. you know, when I come downtown over the last 12 months or so, I'm like, okay, uh, I feel like there's more tense than there used to be. I, I don't know. Maybe there's not. <laughs> sure. What is your What is your role in that? Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Well, first, it, what's interesting is organizations like ours sit at, in this position that is quite unique because we are not policymakers. We have okay. no regulatory authority, mm -hmm. um, and we're not crisis intervention or social service workers. So we really sit in a place of looking to facilitate partnerships and solutions in creative ways. So as it relates to homelessness, um, first and foremost, I always want to make sure that we're separating the issues of homelessness from crime, because mm. all too often we see kind of a, a they are certainly interrelated, in, unfortunately, in certain cases, but they are two very separate and distinct issues. Um, we need strong enforcement as it relates to crime and public safety, we need compassionate response as it relates to those experiencing homelessness and mental health and drug misuse. Mm. Um, what we've seen across the country and you know, coming during this pandemic, basically from Dallas to Denver um, and having a network of colleagues across the country, we're seeing an increase in the unhoused, an increase in mental health, drug epidemic. Um, all of these are impacting every city in the, the country. Um, so from our perspective, we're working with all of our social service providers in the area, particularly those who are providing street outreach in downtown and okay. trying to help support those additional resources because we are, how, how, how do you do that? Like what, what is your support? What do you do? Um, we're, we help map, help to kind of inform where we're seeing significant, um, I see clusters. Okay. Um, so okay. we have with our security team, you know, we have 18 security officers who are out on the street every day, also mm -hmm. trained in crisis intervention. So from our own perspective, um, when they encounter someone, they will engage and try and understand if there's a, a resource or a navigator that they can connect that individual to. So mm -hmm. what we'll also do is then communicate that information back to our service providers and say, hey, you know, there's some additional support that's that's needed in, in this particular area. Um, we're also looking at some funding models as well to be able to bring more boots on the ground out into the street. So there's the tactical every day. And then there's the, the higher level policy where we're engaged with a lot of the citywide and regionwide conversations to bring more coordination and a long term planning to the system as a whole. Um, because of the complexities, we've got to look at policy. We have to look at how we are treating with compassion and connecting those, um, again, the mental health and, and drug misuse issues in our community right now are far and wide, and we need to make those connections and solutions. Um, is that is that together. topic is that topic a big part of your 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 day to day right now, or it's or it's a small piece? So like, I'm curious. Is, oh, it's yeah. absolutely it's it's very significant. And again, I, I want to be clear when we're talking about homelessness. Um, versus crime and where we're seeing that true increase in crime on our streets. Mm -hmm. um, I would say right now, um, what we're seeing related to crime is a huge piece of, a huge part of our attention. 
And we'll be rolling out some new initiatives in partnership with the city and county of Denver, Denver Police Department and RTD Police later this week um, to infuse resources to address both crime as well as our um, mental health and substance misuse cases in the streets. Will those will those resources basically mean more boots on the street to just eyes eyes and and people to help and alert police or maybe try to calm something down or uh, you know, what does that resource look like? I, Absolutely, I to... yeah, it's a full full court press, uh, multidisciplinary. Um, you know, again, really leveraging resources related to law enforcement, related to mental health, substance abuse. Um, even looking at how we are addressing the environment. So where we have, um, you know, litter and debris, making sure that that's getting cleaned up. Um, I'd say the other role for our organization, which is one that is definitely our sweet spot, is that a lot of this is chicken and egg. So Urban Planning 101 tells you the more people that you have in an area, it then becomes safer in both perception and reality. And the fact that on March 13th, 2020, we lost 100,000 people from the center of our city when the world shut down. And that's our daytime population of office workers. That's naturally going to have an impact on your environment. And again, this is what we've seen true in every city in, in America. Um, so we're having to rebuild from that. We're sitting at about half of our daytime workforce back right now, 52%. Um, so we really, really need- Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's that, wow. I th- Wow, I thought it was a higher number than that. Only 52% back. So so let me make sure I understand what you just said. If you just look at all the high-rise buildings and think about all the office workers downtown, you're telling me that only 50% of that group generally is back in the office day-to-day so, so far? Correct. Wow. Okay. That, Which is that actually is... about four percentage points higher than the national average in cities our size. Okay. So mm-hmm. there's there's that plus. Um, so we're recognizing that the, the workforce is changing. Um, no doubt. The way no. that we work is changing. Um, as I said, if not for having COVID myself at the moment, I would be downtown because we need people to come back to the office, come downtown, spend money and spend time. Um, on the upside, we are back to pre-pandemic levels in the evenings and on weekends. Our okay. hospitality and visitor traffic is back to where it was pre-pandemic as well. So that demand is still there. So the conversation, I think, is less about people coming back downtown and more about a societal, how are we going to work moving into the future? And then we need to rethink what that means for downtown. Agreed. And, you know, I think that map, we could do a whole podcast on this topic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, with more and more people working remotely, your daytime lunch crowd may never come back to what it was. Right. Um, but if you can at least get them back into downtown to enjoy the evening festivities and events and dinner, that helps. Uh, but I don't know if, I don't know if with, with remote work, I think some of the, some of the lunch cafes and things like that, they, they may never, it may never come back to what it was. I, I don't know, um, because so many people are working remotely and then that causes people to move away. They don't have to drive downtown, maybe they, you know, or whatever. So yeah, I can see where you're battling. It's not just a COVID situation. It's the, it's this now push to work remotely and people don't want to come back to the office just because it's convenient not to have to commute. And that affects everybody downtown, right? It affects, right. affects everybody. Yeah. I, I, this, during this whole time, I always thought, boy, I would not want to be uh, a business owner downtown that depended on foot traffic right now over the last two years, because whew, you know, you're losing all your, you're losing a ton of traffic. Um, okay. Yeah. You need to entice me as a listener. 
Um, you, you got to get me downtown, right? You got to, you got to right. get me. Cause I want to go downtown. It, it's interesting. I, I want to go downtown. Here's, here's why I don't want to go downtown. I don't want to go downtown for two reasons right now. And I live in Loveland. So for the listeners, that's probably 45 minutes from downtown up North going up the highway. Right. The reason my wife and I don't go downtown right now are two reasons. A I 25 sucks with yeah. traffic. <laughs> and B I am concerned about the tents and the homeless thing. And I, and it's not as pleasant as it used to be. And so if you can get a high speed train to get me downtown super fast uh, yeah. and, and you can clean it up, I'll come more. I'll come more often. <laughs> I know it's a lot easier. Well, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I think we have a, a few opportunities. I mean, one, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that one of our significant priorities right now is also looking at a, a, a trend or a tool called adaptive reuse where we're taking old office space and converting it into residential because Great. what we are yes. continuing Perfect. to see is a yep. huge yep. demand for downtown living. So yep. the more, you yep. know, if we do end up seeing that office contraction, then we can have yep. more yep. people living, which then begets greater retail, more yes. restaurants, more things to do so that you will be willing to sit in traffic on I-25 or take public transit yeah. to get downtown. Mm -hmm. Um, I've often I, thought that I've told so many people over the last two years, I'm like, all these high rises where it used to be cubicles of workers, it's going to be turned into residential stuff. Yeah. Right. I, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I will say, you know, as we look at, there's so much positive momentum in downtown. And I think that's why we are all so sensitive to the vulnerabilities we're facing today, because we do, there's $2 billion worth of construction investment and construction that's going on in downtown right now. The majority wow. of that is mixed use and residential with okay. a little bit of new office coming in. Uh, we've seen amazing progress, even in 2021, we had over a billion dollars of development that a lot of people haven't seen yet. So with your perception that downtown is, you know, filled with a lot of tents, I would well, say, have more you than, been, more have than you I come remember. in the last year, right? Yeah, and yeah. so we need people to come back and experience um, all the progress that has been made and we know it's only gonna get better. Um, I feel like listening to you, this is a fascinating job you have because I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm like, man, she's got the mayor calling her. She's got the police chief calling her. She's got all these leaders of these different things calling saying, Hey, Courtney, can uh, your organization help with this? Can your organization, help? you can pull in a lot of, I, I'm assuming you are pulled in a lot of different directions with phone calls from all kinds of people <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> it makes for very busy days. I'll say that. <laughs> but that's a great thing about this community that I found is that it's not just calling and asking for things. It's saying, what can we do to help you as well? Right. So everyone's really leaned into solutions. Gotcha. Um, so that's who you, who else do you deal with? You're, you're dealing with all the all the city leaders and every the commissioner. I don't know who I'm trying to think of other titles, but I guess you're dealing with all of them. Right. Um, th does politics get in the way of stuff sometimes you know is, are there does that affect things with your organization sometimes i'm guessing it does oh of course of course i mean i think politics <laughs> affects everything we do whether it's at home or at work right now um and i think one of the challenges for us is we're looking at a lot of these fundamental issues public safety housing yeah. um even just the public realm transportation because the narrative nationally has become so polarized in our politics yes. that it's very hard to find and really push people to the logical middle is kind of how I refer to it. I blame um, social media for that polarizing right. attitude, right? Social right. media has, has pushed people into that 
deeply divided mentality instead of coming to the middle. Right. Sorry, I didn't right. mean to interrupt the flow right there, but I blame no, you. No, no, no. You're I I I think there's certainly an element to that and just what has become acceptable um to be able to, you know, it's just it's so it's so challenging when we're trying to come forth with pragmatic solutions that are good for the community um, and to have to wade through a lot of yeah. the extremes on both sides <laughs> to get to, you know, truly, and, you know, we're, we're just trying to do the right thing for our city at the end of the day and for our yes. community. Um, so that it does create a challenge. Do you keep yourself in the middle? Are you very careful, careful to keep yourself in the middle so that you don't have either side mad at you when you're trying to get stuff done? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we do. It really depends on the issue. I mean, there are some issues where we feel very strongly and take a very strong position. Um, Getting fentanyl off the streets is one example where we put full court press at the state legislature when the fentanyl bill came forward um, earlier this year. And so that's really important to our community. Um, Those things that maybe don't directly impact downtown, I mean, we're we approach things again from the logical middle. So I would say it's apolitical in the way that we approach and look at where we take positions. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we will get involved in the municipal candidate um, elections that are coming up in the spring. Oh, you will. Oh, so you will. So you will. That's a great question. So your organization will back candidates on one side or the other. We will not endorse specific candidates, but what we will do is we have published our policy priorities So we'll go through a process by which we have a working group of our members who interview all the candidates. And then we'll put out a report that talks about how um, those candidates align with the priorities of the partnership. So Mm. it's not direct endorsement of one or more candidates. It's really just looking at the landscape and who we feel really fits the downtown priorities. Boy, you are having to navigate in some tricky waters sometimes, my friend. I mean, I'm just listening to you. I'm thinking, wow, she has learned how to waltz through some tricky <laughs> dances. Uh, are you interested in politics yourself? Are you thinking no. this is, is it? Yeah. Okay. I, I feel, <laughs> I'm not the first person to ask you that, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. No, that was one of the uh, boys to get me to stay in Dallas was a, <laughs> a nudge to run for mayor (laughs) so no so not my world you wouldn't do it you wouldn't do it you wouldn't if they no i have the best of both worlds i i work for private sector i work very closely with public sector we have influence over policy in the way that our our city is built without necessarily the bureaucracy of politics so um i leave those to those who have much thicker skin than i do I mean, yeah, but you got to have pretty thick skin to do what you do, I would think. I mean, uh, you know, you're getting hit from all kinds of sides. Um, I want to ask, you know, as we get towards the back end of this, I just want to go a little bit deeper on. I want to ask, like, what 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 would you do if you had the power kind of questions? Like if you could if you could wave a magic wand. The, the, I want to ask about the tent situation specifically on properties. Do you think, and this may be a tough question, you may not want to answer it. If I own a million dollar piece of property near downtown and I live downtown and I have a little grass section out front next to the street that is mine or whatever. And I call you and I say, Courtney, I want these, I want these homeless people out. I don't want them in front of my house. Move them. Would you, if you had the power, would you move them or would you tell me to just deal with it? What would you do? (laughs) Oh, that's a really hard question. Um, 
You know, I the moving scenario is not effective. Um, we've seen that. When I was in Dallas, it helps me. It helps me as my property as a property owner. Right. I feel better. <laughs> well, and I, you know, and this is where you may say it's a little bit of a political answer, but I really think it's it's the truth. Um, you know, I would rather see a system set up that instead of moving, calls immediate crisis intervention workers out and tries to approach from a, a place of outreach um, to move that individual or those individuals into a more stabilized situation versus say sending the cops in to just say, you gotta move along because okay. really all that's doing is displacing the problem from one place to another. And you know, I, I can say that with a bit of now expertise, which I never thought that I would have in Dallas, um, we saw a gap in street outreach in the city um, and we saw a need. So we actually started our own street outreach program with my former organization. So I had crisis okay. intervention workers on my staff who were going out and making that individual outreach because we saw that even with 50 security officers um, who were trained in crisis intervention, all we were doing was displacing the problem and not creating long-term solutions. So I, I'm a big believer in that. That was pretty. That was a pretty. That was a pretty political answer, Courtney. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> it's the truth, though. I mean, that's know. that's how I feel. That would be my magic wand. You said if I had my magic wand. <laughs> you know, I always think about that when I go downtown. That's kind of how I think of it, right? I'm like, damn, I want to. You know, yeah, I want these people need help. And I, you know, I my my emotional piece comes out too, right? My heart goes out to them, and I, I know, you know, it's mental, it's mental illness, it's drug addiction, it's all these things. But but then I think about the property owner, you know, and I'm like, uh, I I live in Johnstown. I said Loveland earlier. I'm just thinking about in Johnstown. I live in Johnstown at my house. If a if a homeless person put a tent in front of my house here, I would be like, no, dude, we're not. No, you're not doing that. I don't care what your mental health problem is. I mean, I feel sorry for you, but you're not going to put a tent in front of my house. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I always think about both sides. I'm in my head. I'm always wrestling with that. And when I go downtown, I'm like, boy, this is a tough situation because. Uh, I feel for them, but I don't want them on my property. This and that, um, but I do. I do agree uh, that um, I'm not an expert on this. But everybody I've talked to, and I've had a bunch of people on the podcast talk about this topic: the mental illness and the drug addiction. I mean, it, it's it's not really a homeless problem, right? It's a mental illness problem and a drug addiction problem for the most part that causes the homelessness. Is that fair to say? Would you agree with that? Or I would say it's it can be a cycle too. You could have someone who falls into poverty, becomes homeless, and because we have so many of what I would say are those intending harm, so drug dealers going out, you have a vulnerable mm -hmm. population. So if you enter homelessness not already suffering from drug addiction or mental health substances, you know, the, the adage is the longer you stay, the longer you are homeless, the longer you will stay unhoused. Um, and I think that just that environment starts to exacerbate and becomes a, a very difficult cycle um, to break. So I think it's it's hard to pinpoint, you know, the cause. I think if as a nation we could determine the cause, we would be in a much different place. But it's certainly a contributing factor and and the cause for some. I do. I can relate to it. I want to share this with the listeners. My my ex wife is um, bipolar and schizophrenic. And, um, my sons, my grown sons are trying to take care of her. But, but as my oldest boy tells me, he's like, dad, you know, she wants to be homeless. Like they, they, they've got her, they put her in places. She won't stay. She will not stay. Right. She just, they, they've tried to get her housing. 
They've get, I mean, they've done, you name it. They have tried everything. They've put her in so many different places. They've gotten her apartment, whatever, you know, she'll think the apartment's haunted and she'll leave or whatever. I mean, she just, you know, and he's just like, he's just like, I don't know what to do. Like, it's almost like she wants to be homeless and I can't, I can't, I can't, unless we put her in jail or, or you know, I can't make her stay. Um, so that's why I can relate to uh, the mental illness is a real, is a real problem. Mm -hmm. And then you tie in the, you tie in the drugs and all that. It's just, it's a tough one, man. It's a, it's a tough one. Uh, well, I, I'll depend on you to get with the mayor and get all this solved next week. <laughs> Well, and I mean, since you, you were forthcoming, I, you know, I will share with you, and I think this helps with the, the perception and really where we have such a significant issue, particularly with the opioid crisis here in Denver, as I mentioned that I lost my brother at the end of 2018, he worked for a local oil company, um, successful mid thirties, not yet married, just living his best life and was a party drug user and unfortunately used and came across something that was not expected and oh. it killed him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, that's you know, so I think, was it laced? Was it something laced with fentanyl? We suspect it was before yeah. it was right as fentanyl was hitting this market. Wow. Um, oh my gosh. So it's just, and, and I, I offer that um, really as just the tale as we think about, again, this, this sort of um, approach to homelessness, mental health, drug misuse. And I think a lot of times we have this, um, mental image in our head of mm. who those individuals are and we it's affecting so many more people in our community mm -hmm. um and you know, not just our community it's all over all over the nation right why now. why why don't we talk about it more as a nation that the fentanyl is killing more people than anything else right now in this country and yet nobody talks about it i know i know i am a part of we have a trade association called the international downtown association i'm on their policy committee and we were up in DC about a month ago, um, really intending to advocate for a piece of legislation that helps with adaptive reuse. But we we opened up this conversation to say, you know, typically we've seen the federal government um, really push uh, issues related to housing and um, public safety and crime at the local level. But these are becoming such common issues nationwide that we really need to be working together. And when we think about the patterns of, um, you know, drug distribution and how that's coming into our country you know not everything that's coming through colorado is staying in colorado so it's yep. much more than just a, an issue for our state mm. did you vote for the psilocybin thing you you want to tell everybody how you voted <laughs> <laughs> i'll keep that to myself <laughs> oh come on cordy you can tell us what your ballot looks like you can, by the way today's voting day right today's voting day we were recording this on voting i day, know right? i know it sure is it's a big day you probably already voted. I'm sure you voted early. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, you sure you're not? Are you, I tell you what, you're a pretty polished politician. Uh, you, I don't know. I think I, man, they, you might, you might, uh, somebody might push you to run for mayor. I don't know, no. or, or something, <laughs> or something even bigger. Uh, you know, I don't know. No, no interest. No, no. no. But thank okay. you. That's kind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got you got all the 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 right. You got all the right things uh, for it, and you uh, you're careful to answer questions, but you do answer them, which I which I really like. You know, some yeah, some people just won't they just won't answer questions, and uh, you have. <laughs> um, okay, very good. So, if anybody if anybody wants to help or contribute, um, what what's the best thing for them to do uh, if they want to donate or if they want to? Do you take volunteers or you just take donations? How how can we address the listeners to help you? Absolutely. I appreciate that. I mean, I think first and foremost, this 
call for people to come spend time and okay. money downtown is a big one. So that's the easy one. Just come downtown, particularly right. if you haven't been in the last two years. And, you know, the media has not done us any favors with a lot of the narrative that's been going on about downtown. And, and yeah. I assure you that there are some really special things. Parade of Lights is coming up. So if you need an event, come down for Parade of Lights. Um, so just supporting us in that way is huge. In terms of our organization, downtowndenver.com, um, we have volunteer opportunities as well as opportunities to engage as a member. Um, so we can certainly visit about that further. Oh, so you do think you do have volunteer stuff that, that you don't have to give money. You can just volunteer. We do. We do. I mean, our volunteer efforts, because we have a small staff, they're generally kind of um, surrounding our, our big events and things like that. But we certainly can make those connections. We also have a lot of connections within the downtown community, social service providers, for example, that will channel volunteers to. Okay, very good. Downtown Denver, downtowndenver.com is uh, is the is the website. And Courtney Garrett, you're not a big LinkedIn user, I noticed. I, <laughs> I yes, I know. I, I updated it all when I moved, and then it's it become so overwhelming. <laughs> I believe it. That I need to clear that out. But yeah, unfortunately, time with a full time plus job and two kids. Keeping up with my social media has not uh, been the best. Yeah, so. I, I totally understand. You do a great job of organizing it and managing it. Congratulations on your wonderful, wonderful career. Great career. Thank you. Um, and uh, kudos to the job that you do. I, I, It would take a lot of patience to deal with. you got some big egos, you're, huge egos you're dealing with, people calling you. You're doing, uh, I can't imagine. So, uh, yeah. Kudos to you, my friend, for the job you're doing. Thank you, Courtney, for wow. being on the show and, and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity to amplify it.